Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me this week and for the next few weeks is Kate Turner. Kate, how are you today? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. Well, we're really thrilled to have you here. You know, we had Allison Wiseman for a few weeks and, you know, she got really good reviews. So you're following up, uh, you know, a a, a good performance. So you're going to have to bring it this week in the next couple of weeks. It's a tough act to beat. Allison is a tough one to beat. She's very clever. Yes. Yes. She's very, very clever. But you're clever, too. So we're ready to to (laughs) talk to you, you you clever person, about uh, stuff this week. We are now seven days away from the election by the next time one week what the next time we talk i don't know if we're actually doing it on i forgot whether we decided we're going to do it on election day or the day after but anyways we will probably not have another uh conversation before we know who the next governor will be whether andy Bashir will have been reelected or not so we're just going to go through our preview this week talk about you know what what are we thinking about here in the last week of the election But there is a little bit of news as well. We're going to be talking a little bit about the UAW reaching a tentative agreement with Ford. Of course, they all also reached tentative agreements with the other couple of the other two of the big three automakers. So we're going to talk through the Ford deal specifically. And then also there was a a Kentucky Supreme Court case that we have been tracking since the bill passed the legislature that has final resolution. And we're going to be talking about that as well. But without any further ado, Kate, let's talk about this election that's coming up. Oh, boy. I can't believe it's only one week left. I can't either. Uh, I can. I, I'm like drinking enough. I'm very thankful. Water. Yes. Here. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, I have not been. I have not. I have not been canvassing the past couple of weeks due to like travel and stuff. So I hopefully the people that are out there in the field are the ones drinking. If they need my water, my allotment of water, mm-hmm. they can have it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I mean, just speaking generally from like the hard numbers that we have, like Andy Bashir has led this race using just about all the hard numbers you can find. Like any p- poll that you found, public poll, his polls, Daniel Cameron's polls, he's winning in all of those polls. Absolutely. He's raised a ton more money. I think if you compare the campaigns directly, um, his campaign has raised something like $13 million more than Daniel Cameron's campaign. It's it's crazy. Even if you add together the amount that like Daniel Cameron's PACs and Daniel Cameron's campaign, if you add that together with Andy Bashir's PACs and Andy Bashir's campaign, Andy Bashir still comes out on top. I think Daniel Cameron's third party spending by itself is a little bit bigger than than Andy Bashir's, but like I don't think you can consider those things in like by themselves. You have to add them to the campaign numbers. So, anyway, it's like yeah. you, you know, basically like all the hard numbers, Andy Bashir is doing really good. Um, but that's not the first time that the Democrat has been in this situation. So in 2015, which, uh, you know, I don't think you were in Kentucky at this point, Kate, but, uh, I was. no, but no, that, I wasn't. that campaign, uh, Jack Conway was, was heavily favored pretty much the whole time, just kind of like this. Um, he had outraised Matt Bevin and, and then lost by nine points. So, so this is not something that is just, you know, oh, these hard numbers look good. So therefore you're going to win. Um, you know, the, all the public right. polls kind of right. had Jack Conway ahead, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that is what yeah. people are, are kind of looking at. So despite that comparison, yeah. though, I, I do think that this year is, is different because like, I don't know, just being on the ground, like, I just don't think, you know, uh, Jack Conway wasn't running for re-election. He was the attorney general. He was he was a very like Louisville centric 
type politician. I don't think people were as excited about him as they had been about Steve Bashir. You know, Matt Bevin kind of had a lot of support on the ground. This is before the Trump wave. Like, I feel like yeah. there's a lot of things that were really different. And I do feel like the support for Andy Bashir feels more like genuine and about Andy Bashir. And I also just kind of get this sense that Republicans who just aren't, they don't, the, the Republicans that don't like live and die on this stuff, they don't really care that much for Daniel Cameron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think objectively, Andy is in as good of a position as anyone could expect him to possibly be at this point in the race. Like, given the state demographics, given where we've seen polling in the past, I mean, he really is run a fantastic campaign. Um, mm-hmm. I think anyone from the outside could see that. And again, this is Kentucky and polling doesn't mean anything until, you know, the day of. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I think that we always have to be like very cautious about drawing any major conclusions here. But I think you're right that there isn't a ton of excitement about Daniel Cameron. He hasn't given a, a lot of folks a reason to vote for him. He's given people a lot of reasons to vote against Andy. Um, but Andy kind of deflects in this way that he's this very like likable guy um not a lot is sticking it's hard to paint this man as a radical yeah (laughs) and it's hard to tie him to washington because he is uh so he's effectively campaigned so well in kentucky as well yeah i I agree with that and i I think too just like the shifting strategies of the cameron campaign has been i mean made for kind of a bad campaign on his behalf as well like in the primary you know uh uh Man, I already forgot her name, right? Uh, <laughs> Kelly Craft. Yeah, Kelly Craft. There you go. Kelly Craft was running this super anti-trans, anti-woke campaign, and Daniel Cameron was the one sitting back and being like, "That's a, you know, that's a little much, don't you think, guys?" And you know, he mm-hmm. rode that to victory in the primary, and then as soon as the primary was over, just basically turned that into his own message, despite the fact that he was running against that too much yeah. to to good extent just basically adopted all of that messaging and has been pumping it out calling and, and then during most of the campaign he's been calling Andy Bashir crazy or radical yeah and then just this week released a new ad that's like reverse you know oh you know we all like Andy but you know he's right. liberal or whatever and I was like maybe if you led with that that might work but the fact that you're yeah. like following up with this like you're just shifting your position you don't seem like you're staying for anything except for just wanting to win and I just don't think yeah I don't feel like Daniel Cameron has run a very good campaign there's not a singular arc or story to Daniel Cameron's campaign that you can kind of nail and hold down, you know, hold on to. And uh, as a fellow election nerd, I think that that's the thing that you'll like, what, you can back me up here that that's what we constantly hear, that it comes back to being able to tell a story and get people to buy into that story. And uh, it really doesn't feel like Daniel Cameron's done a very good job of that at all. Um, and it, it is really hard to paint. Uh, Andy as as a radical. Um, I, I do think, though, it's very easy to paint Daniel Cameron as one and something that I want to um, hone in on here to, you know, really um, embody the title that the GOP, the Kentucky GOP has put on me, which is I'm a one note candidate, always talking <laughs> about reproductive health care <laughs> um, and access to abortion. Um, but I think it's really important that we're talking about this because at the end of the day, I love to remind people of this one in four women in America are going to have an abortion before they're 45. This is an incredibly common procedure. This is something that is, that is normal. Um, and we just don't talk about it. There's a lot of shame attached to it. Um, and so we talk about it in hushed tones, maybe with one another, but it's not something that we're saying out there with our full chest. Um, 
And Daniel Cameron, of course, has supported and then gone back and forth about what he actually supports, hasn't really been able to nail down. Um, It's clear that he supports the current uh, abortion ban that is on the books right now, which has zero exceptions for rape or incest. Um, There is a clause for the life of the mother, but in practice, that doesn't really mean anything if you can't find a doctor in the state to actually perform the procedure, um, which is what women are going to be running into. Right. They're going to have issues where the, their hospital, their doctor is going to have to be seeking legal arrangements before they can actually perform any procedures. That puts doctors in an incredibly precarious position. Um, two things, though, that I do really want to highlight. Uh, one is the letter that Daniel Cameron signed earlier this year in June. The um, federal government, uh, HHS, put out uh, new regulations protecting patient privacy. And Daniel Cameron, along with 26 other Republican uh, attorney generals, signed a letter saying that he believes that he, uh, the state should be able to have access to your out-of-state medical records. Um, and uh, so that means that even outside of the state, he believes that he has a right to control the decisions that you are making with your own body. And just this week in Idaho, we saw um, a 16-year-old girl um, and her mother, or I believe the mother of her boyfriend, um, be charged um, for, quote-unquote, abortion trafficking. Like, these are things that are happening. They are on, that this is happening in other states. This is not something, this is, uh, it's not hysterical for us to be worrying about this. Um, there's uh, Lubbock County in Texas just passed a law um, saying that if you move someone through the state in the process of seeking an abortion, you um, can be charged. Um, that's uh, really scary language. Um, and uh, as we know, the Kentucky GOP um, copies and pastes what is going on in other states and brings that to our state legislatures. So having uh, Andy Bashir there as the last line of defense against some of this stuff is incredibly important. Um, and the second piece that I really want to highlight is Daniel Cameron's open willingness to sign on to uh, the questionnaire by Northern Kentucky Right to Life equating hormonal birth control with abortion. Um, he's since walked back those statements. Um, but that being said, if he's willing to sign on to these things without reading them or just accept what the most extremist groups uh, in, in the country are pushing for, then what else is he willing to sign on to? Um, and uh, this is well known and documented that uh, hormonal birth control is being confused with abortion. It is being called abortion by extremist conservatives to conflate these things purposefully to confuse voters. Hormonal birth control is not abortion. It never has been abortion. It should not be treated like abortion. It should not be regulated like abortion. Um, And the idea that these things should be treated the same. uh, Daniel Cameron affirmed twice in writing uh, on this questionnaire that he believes those two things are the same. So um, all the more reason to uh, really get out there here in this last week and uh, really help pull Andy over the line, because these are issues that don't just affect women, they affect families, um, and uh, they, they, they impact all of us. Absolutely. No, it is. It is an issue that impacts every single person. Um, if you are not a woman, you probably know a woman or, uh, you know, love a woman or, you know, live with a woman. Um, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're a person who, who takes responsibilities for the things that happen in your own life, like this is something um, that you you may need, uh, you know, access to at some point in your life. Um, and, and yeah, it is it is just uh, I mean, there's there's been research since the fall of Roe v. Wade that has shown that the amount of abortions a- across the country has not declined. It's actually gone up slightly. Um, it's just inconvenienced mm-hmm. a lot of people. Correct. 
Um, and, and yeah, you you're exactly right. The the fact that uh, that that Daniel Cameron has signed on to these things, um, you know, what does it mean? And and the story that I tell myself about Daniel Cameron is that he doesn't actually like believe anything or know what he thinks. He's just like listening to what people have to tell yeah. him. And and when you look at what some of the, the the conservative leaders in this state are trying to do around abortion, you know, if you go back to our show um, on the the tenth, a couple, I think three weeks ago that I did with Allison. Um, we talked about that the family Fa- family foundation policy conference that took place in Lexington, where I mean, state legislatures promoted the idea of these abortion trafficking bills as things that they needed to get done in Kentucky. Whether or not Daniel Cameron believes that that's a good idea or not is immaterial to me. I do believe Correct. with my whole heart that he is going to provide zero leadership to stop any of this. If, if the legislature wants to do this, he's going to go along with them. Uh, and it is very clear that the legislature does want to start pushing for these things. And like we've seen in other states, they have passed and have caused people who are trying to access this you know this safe and necessary procedure uh you know legal issues to the point where they may be having to go to prison so that is that is certainly yeah. something that is happening and definitely a big reason uh to um to, to consider voting uh on november the 7th or before uh, on one of those early voting days um so all that being said you know andy Bashir, he's doing well he's he's been leading in the polls he's got a lot more money Despite all of this, Kentucky is uh, – well, you know, I wrote in my notes, Kentucky is a conservative state. I would say it's a state that elects Republicans on a regular basis. And that it, that may be something that we can we can kind of talk about as being different. An important distinction. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Is it conservative? Is it Republican? The conventional wisdom is that Daniel Cameron will be able to count on Kentucky's, you know, conservatism, Republicanism to help him keep it close or win. Um, you know, I – I think what are we what are we what are we basing this on, right? So so 2015, I I already talked about that race a little bit. That was really the first year that Republicans broke through to win the governorship. So you know Ernie Fletcher won in 2003, Steve Bashir then won two in a row, and then Matt Bevin won in 2015. And and really when you think about it, only three Republicans have ever have won the governorship since the New Deal era, right? Um, you know mm-hmm. you have Louis B. Nunn back in like I guess it was like the 60s. Um, then you had and then you had Ernie Fletcher in 2003 and then you had Matt Bevin. Um, you know, I think people might be over indexing. Are we looking at one race in 2015, uh, two races in 2015 and 2019 and, and just saying like, well, that's a trend that's going to continue. You know, Matt Bevin was a bad candidate, but Kentucky is pretty Republican. Kentucky has elected a lot of Democrats in the past. And yes, a lot of things have changed. But, you know, Kentucky started electing Republicans at the federal level in the 90s. So how much has really yeah. changed? Like, you know, may, what are we what are we indexing? What trends are we seeing? Are we looking at it the right way? I'm not I'm not totally sure. I'm not convinced. So yeah. so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I I'm like, feeling I'm feeling a little bit more confident than I expected to at this point in the race. <laughs> um, but but you know there there's still there still is uh, definitely an opportunity for for Daniel Cameron to win this thing. Um, so everybody don't don't relax. Uh, get out there and do the work that you can. Um, what do you think about yeah, all that, Kate? Absolutely. Do you think that, that how are you how are you feeling? You know. Um, I got out of the prediction business in 2016. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do like to remind people, you know, that Kentucky voted for Bill Clinton twice. And I think that there absolutely is, um, if, if someone is going to be able to harness um, democratic votes uh, in the state, it's going to be Andy Bashir. I think that he is, 
best suited for this role at this moment in time. He's the right candidate at the right time. Um, I think that largely in the South and the Midwest, um, the Democratic Party in general, not specifically just the Kentucky Democratic Party, um, but the Democratic Party in general has not done a great job of translating our message um, of what we work for and who we can help. Um, And I think uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the UAW strike later on um, in the pod. But I think that that's a critically important piece of, you know, what what is a politician who's coming to my state asking for my vote, who's coming to my town, who's coming to my city asking for my vote, what are they actually going to do for me and provide for me? And Republicans have just been a lot better at conveying that message statewide in Kentucky. Um, More recently, um, I think that Democrats obviously advocate for a policy that helps the majority of Kentuckians um, uh, significantly, um, but we haven't been as effective at messaging it. And um, I I think that that is uh, something that I look forward to seeing what the results are because I feel like Andy is someone who can convey that message uh, quite well. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that we run into a lot is that our candidates who are the most effective are the ones that are the smartest and the ones that are the smartest realize that the brand of Democrat is not doing very well in Kentucky and run away from that because that's just the smart thing to do. So how do you build a strong partisan identity um, for how do you build a brand of Democrat back up connecting it to um, these issues? It's 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 just tough. It's hard. And and, and, and that is something Andy Bashir has worked very hard for the party. Um, he's done a ton of work to to, to build a, a, a good party infrastructure. He's, you know, um, been involved very heavily over there. But in his political uh, conversations, always kind of runs away from the Democratic brand and says, you know, I'm 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 for Kentucky. I'm yeah. not for the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it, Democrats have a tendency to tell people that we know what's best. And that's really not an effective way to talk to people who you want to get to vote for yeah. you. Um, I'm certainly, uh, you know, guilty of doing that. And Republicans are really good at instead of talking about what they'll do for you, who to blame for what your problems are. And fear and shame are the most effective tactics in to move anyone to do anything. So we have a harder challenge to begin with, you know, like it's a harder, it's a harder place to start from. We're not starting at the same starting line. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let me just talk a little bit uh, here about, you know, how, you know, I I, I wrote pretty extensively and I've looked pretty extensively into the 2019 victory by by Andy Bashir. And and when I wrote about it at the time, I, I kind of pointed out four prongs. Um, that led to his victory. So I just kind of want to go over those four prongs and talk about where they're standing um, this time in 2023. So of course, the first the first prong and the most the most powerful, the biggest prong of Andy Bashir's victory in 2019 were urban counties of Jefferson and Fayette. You know, uh, yeah. Andy Bashir won. A, you know, he won a handful of counties. Um, but he won Jefferson and Fayette with just like a gigantic margin. He, I think it was a 99,000 vote victory in Jefferson County. Uh, and then in Fayette County, he got a 37,000 vote margin. Um, you know, I think he's going to have to actually beat that this time. Um, and, and I think it's it's well within the cards for him to do better than that in 2023. And I think significantly better than that than that in Fayette County. Um, I, yeah. I, I think uh, Fayette is part of um, there's a trend across the country of counties with major universities becoming significantly more Democratic really over the past 10 years. And, and they were like, you know, you, you look at Columbus, Ohio, you look 
look at Tallahassee, Florida. You look at, you know, you look at Knoxville, Tennessee. You look anywhere in the country. You look at Cheyenne, Wyoming. You know, you look at like Olympia, Washington, or whatever. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if that's where <laughs> any of the universities <laughs> in Washington are. But uh, whatever state it is, if it has a major university, it has just gotten more democratic. And, and Lexington is no is 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 part of that trend for sure. So I think that we will see an even larger mm-hmm. victory for Andy Bashir in Fayette County. And I think you know he Andy Bashir will maintain that ninety nine thousand vote margin or actually increase it slightly there in Jefferson County. And he's going to have to in order to win it. Just for context, of course, we want to point out that the constitutional amendments uh, one and two. Really, the second one is the one I looked into the most. That was the abortion amendment um, that would have made abortion illegal in the state constitution. It uh, uh, lost in Jefferson County by 80,000 votes, and it lost in Fayette County by 38. So it actually did better uh, than than Andy Bashir in Lexington and a slightly worse in, in Louisville. So, you know, that is that is to be to say, like, just as benchmarks, maybe if you want to use that just to be thinking about. So that was the first prong, those urban those urban centers. The second big piece of Andy Bashir's coalition was the northern Kentucky areas, especially Campbell and Kitten mm-hmm. counties. Um, and, and along with that, I didn't put that in there, but along with that, also Warren County down there in Bowling Green, which is probably the yeah. next largest urban area after like the Cincinnati suburbs, Bowling Green. Um, he's going to have to win those areas again. I mean, I think uh, I think he's in position, especially in northern Kentucky, to actually expand his margin. I think there, Bowling Green is a really interesting space, um, just because of what they've done with redistricting. It's hard to, for me to get a handle on how Warren County has mm-hmm. been because they have now split Warren County. They actually split Bowling Green into like three or four different state house seats. Um, so its identity, uh, it also has nonpartisan, you know, city and uh, county elections. Uh, so it's tough for me to kind of see how things are advancing there. Um, but, but I do feel like Andy Bashir will do well in Warren County. We'll see how he does. He's going to have to win those areas, I think, to, to, to pull this out. And I think he's in good position to do that. So urban counties, including the smaller cities, the next kind of big thing, um, again, I mean, I, I, I have said it many, many times, the urban rural divide is the most salient divide in American politics, and that continues all the way down to very small cities. And if you look around at the counties that Andy Bashir managed to win, and also the ones where he managed to keep it close, they typically have a, a, a decent sized, if you know, a decent sized city inside them, not, not Louisville right. or Lexington, but you look at places like Henderson County, where there's Henderson, you have Madison County, where there's Richmond. You have Boyd County, where there's Ashland. Davies County, where there's mm-hmm. Owensboro. McCracken County, where there's Paducah. Um, if you look at the precinct level data, which that's what I do, um, those the, the the precincts that have the urban area are just like bright bright blue, and then everything else around it is bright bright red. So that is just the urban rural divide uh, writ small in these smaller counties. I think, you know, keeping those counties close or winning in some of them is how Andy Bashir was able to, to get to that small victory in 2019. And I think that that will be repeated. I, you know, I think of the counties on that list, he only won Madison and Boyd last year. I, you know, maybe he pulled, I know, I think he won Henderson too. So he, he won some of these, he lost some of these, but I think he's going to have to continue that trend of winning those small cities. And again, I think he's well right. positioned to do that. Okay, so those are the first three prongs. The last prong is the one I think is maybe the most troubling for Andy Bashir, but I I, I don't know how how important it will be this time. In 2019, Andy Bashir did really well 
and former coal counties in Appalachia, ones that have a, a strong, long history of, of union organization, even though that industry mm-hmm. is not really there in, in large part, or really yeah. even at all anymore. So he won places like Knott County, Floyd County, Bath County. I think he won McGoffin County. Like those kind of places, um, Andy Bashir was able to win in 2019. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to repeat that. Uh, I, I would I think he's going to win Floyd County. Uh, I, I don't know as much about whether or not he's going to be able to pull out a victory in Knott County or McGoffin sure. this time. Um, and the thing about this prong is that, of course, there is population shifts going on. Right. And, you know, when we talk about, oh, gosh, I think he's going to do better in Lexington this time relative to how he did last time the thing is a lot of the folks that would have voted for andy Bashir that live in those coal mining counties in eastern kentucky have moved in the past four ten whatever years from those places and and then where they end up if they stay in kentucky often is lexington so the thing right. that's driving uh the increasing margins in in lexington may be the clearing out of those counties so maybe all of those people are again going to vote for andy Bashir in 2023 but they might have voted in 2019 you know in floyd county and are now voting in 2023 and in yeah. fayette county uh if andy Bashir doesn't manage to win those eastern kentucky counties i think he can still win um, but I do think it's going to mean he's going to have to do even better in some of these urban areas. So anyways, if right. you're thinking about ways to think about this race, that's kind of how, how I feel about it. Um, Kate, did all of that make sense to you? Any questions, uh, any other insights that you have? Um, no, all of that, uh, I'm fully aligned with you there on, on, um, you know, the, the urban rural divide. Um, I do think that, coming in as the incumbent and some of the things that Andy has done during his term, particularly his response after the tornadoes and flooding that have happened is something that really resonates with people. Um, And, you know, it's hard to quantify that in data. Uh, It's hard to predict how that's actually going to play out on election day. Um, But Andy does have a talent for meeting people where they're at, particularly after something horrific. And unfortunately, you know, his term has had a lot of, you know, natural disasters and, um, you know, situations where Kentuckians were really put in dire straits and uh, they he showed up as someone that they trust. Um, and we, 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 we see and hear that. Uh, we, we, you know, have heard people talking about that. Um, so uh, we'll see. Yeah, let's keep those margins in, in the urban areas uh, big and uh, hope for the best in some of the more uh, rural areas. Yeah, um, there are a couple of other like event driven spaces that I think are are worth thinking about. Yeah, the, the tornado affected areas, you know, Ada Bashir mm-hmm. managed to win Muhlenberg County when he ran in 2015 for attorney general and then turned around and lost that county in 2019 when he ran for governor. And, and that's, of course, one of the major places that was affected by that the tornado, of course, a place he went. Uh, pretty pretty consistently it'll be interesting to see how that that kind of area changes uh, even because i mean that is also where his family is from they have deep roots with the bashirs you know we already uh, a lot of the places that were affected by the flooding were those places where he he did well in 2019 Uh, but then also there's some of those economic development um level things uh harden county uh with the big announcements for the the blue oval uh you know expansion for ford that'll be very interesting to see how that plays out in the campaign of course uh that and then also like northern kentucky we already talked about as a major um 
you know, a major important area, but they also, the, the replacement for the Brent Spence Bridge, not having tolls, that's a major local issue up there um, that I've seen a yeah. lot of people up there talk about. So, you know, those are those are all like kind of, there are these kind of event-driven things that you were referencing that, that we have to keep our eye on as well. Um, the other big question I have around this is the down ballot. So uh, mm-hmm. pretty much every discussion I've had uh, with people who follow this pretty closely, whether they're journalists or just people that pay attention, they say, well, you know, the down ballot's all just going to lose. Like, you know, Andy's maybe got a chance, but everybody else, th- there's no way that they're going to win. But, uh, you know, I think, again, when we I, I mentioned like over-indexing, we are doing that again, I think, with a, the down ballot. 2019 is the only time that one person won the top of the ticket while losing everything else. Um, You know, uh, this state has been very Democratic, and most of the office holders have been Democratic in in our history. But even when Republicans have won, they've typically brought people along with them. When Ernie Fletcher won in 2003, he brought with him Trey Grayson into the Secretary of State's office, and he also brought uh, Richie Farmer in as Commissioner of Agriculture. So we did have several Mm -hmm. um, Republicans in those seats that were able to win when we had kind of an upset victory by a Republican. Of course, when Matt Bevin won in 2015, he brought basically everybody with him except for Andy Bashir, who managed to become the Attorney General and uh, um, Allison Lundergan-Grinds, who became the Secretary of State. So, you know, if this six to eight point victory that many of the polls have have uh, you know, brought forth, it does materialize for Andy Bashir. I think he could bring along maybe Pam Stevenson, maybe Buddy Wheatley, maybe yeah. Sierra Inlow. Who knows? Like, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that, you know, um, a decent victory by Andy Bashir could result in a few other of these down ballot things. So don't write those off. Don't, you know, leave them blank for whatever reason. You, somebody made you mad uh, when they, you know, said that they didn't like your breed of dog or something like that. Like, you know, uh, yeah. these people have a chance. Uh, don't don't uh, don't write them off yet. So, you know, I don't know. We, we will see what happens there. I, I guess the last thing I have to say is that Andy Bashir is like really well positioned to win this race. He's done a good job. I think Daniel Cameron has done a pretty bad job. Uh, if if Andy Bashir does come up short, um, it's further evidence that the Democratic brand is just doing really poorly in Kentucky. However, I do want to just say, you know, right now, um, before we know what happens, that, you know, even if Andy Bashir does lose um, – it, you know, it it will cause despair. Um, but don't despair for too long. Um, the Democratic Party has been written off so many times in the past. I re- again, back in 2015, everybody was like, "Well, that's the last time that we will have a Democratic governor in Kentucky." We had one four years later. Things change. Mm-hmm. Things happen all the time. Um, just you know, you gotta stay with it. You gotta be the happy warriors. You gotta continue to organize, no matter no matter what happens. So even though I feel good about Andy Bashir, no matter what, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're still going to be doing this work. So Kate, uh, what do you, what do you have to think here at the end? Yeah, here, here, uh, to that, uh, Robert, um, you know, I think the only thing that I would add to that too, is that, uh, as a, I said before, what Republicans are bringing to the table is is also not particularly attractive. And I think that, yes, while, um, you know, I have, um, you know, out of the prediction business, but I do feel good about, about Andy's race, uh, to echo, you know, what Robert just said, um, what Republicans are offering people in Kentucky is not great either. And uh, I, I think that there's, there's, only so much that you can continue to 
set people up for economic failure, continue to take their rights away, drive young people out of the state, you know, make the brain drain worse, um, lose access to healthcare, drive doctors out of the state, you know, like you can only continue to do that so much before um, people really start getting fed up with it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot more room for growth in the Democratic Party in Kentucky whether or not Andy does take this next week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're right. And that's why we keep doing what we're doing. Uh, there, that, that is all you got to, it's all you got to know. All right. That's enough election previewing, um, enough prediction. Uh, yeah, Jasmine's not here to ridicule me. So I, I can, I can make a, you know, some, some small predictions here. Uh, I'm, I'm typically way too optimistic. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about this news, Kate. So the UAW, the United Auto Workers, uh, they reached a tentative agreement with Ford and the other major automakers. So, of course, this this still has a couple pieces left. The the union mm-hmm. the membership has to vote, but I do think people are actually going back to work at the truck plant and the other plants in, uh, across the country that have gone out on strike. There is a tentative agreement in place with all three automakers, but of course, Ford is the one that's the most important here in Kentucky. Um, workers here have been on strike since October 11th, so it's been a few weeks that they have been out of work. So I'm sure, I mean, this is wel- welcome news, absolutely. Um, and it does this seem like, yeah, it is huge. And it also seems like the deal... Um, has a lot of good components for workers. Um, one of the major things that people were fighting over were the tiers, of course, like longer tenured workers uh, who would eventually age out, of course, got like a lot of benefits and a lot of nice things and everybody that was new got worse stuff. And the union rightfully pointed out like, okay, you're just trying to like, you know, uh, set a timetable for the end of the union. We don't want that. And so, yes, they did get those tiers eliminated. Um, that's That's great news. Another big thing, uh, back in 2008, uh, automakers eliminated the cost of living adjustment that was automatic in most of the contracts up to that. Um, you know, 2008 was dire, uh, and, and people did think like a lot of these automakers might fail. They were able to turn it around with government help and, uh, were able to achieve record profits and then didn't give the cola back. So, they went on strike and won it back. So the union has um, uh, gotten that included in their contract, um, something that was pretty normal um, and then removed, but is now going to be back. And, and then uh, in a, a pretty big victory um, to temporary workers, I don't exactly know how temporary workers fit in with a lot of these places, but you know, it's kind of a way to, to pay some people less. Pay for those temporary workers is actually going to double, um, go up by 100%. And, and then also top wages for the permanent workers who are there all the time is going to increase by uh, to, to $42.60 by 2028, which that's an increase of 30%. That's a, signi- that's a yeah. significant amount of money uh, that it will increase by. That's, that's, that's great. Amazing gains. Um, actually, the um, as I'm sure you know, the Kentucky truck plant was in is in District 33, my district. So oh, yeah. I worked uh, very closely with UAW throughout the entirety of my campaign. I could not be happier for them on this agreement. Um, I think that it's really worthwhile pointing out that from 2001 to 2022, so that's 21 years, wage increases for Ford employees went up by 23%. In one year, with this negotiating contract that the union with a strike, it went up by 25% in one year. So we're, I mean, this is like huge unmatched gains for uh, working class folks. 
people who are uh, Ford employees, who are auto workers. Um, and this will trickle down. Uh, oh, God, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> this will impact. This will impact other labor markets where we've seen Toyota come out today saying that they are going to give their workers increases to avoid uh, union organizing and uh, potentially down the line striking at their plants. So like this really is the rising tide that lifts all boats. And I just want to give a huge shout out to UAW uh, and and their, this is a big deal and it's going to impact a lot of people, not just folks who work at the Ford plant. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's it, it, these are people that live in our neighborhoods that, you know, mm-hmm. are our neighbors. Uh, they, they live here in Kentucky uh, and it means a lot more money in their pocket that will spur on the Kentucky economy uh, that will make us, a, 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 you know, a more attractive place to live. This is this is good news for the people that work there. So I could not be happier for them. Um, it was very brave of them to do what they did. And, and I'm, I'm really excited that they've won um, everything that they've won. Um, oh, and sorry, I just want to give one last shout out. Sorry, I listened to the uh, another uh, not nearly as good podcast this morning, The Daily, um, and they did a, a piece on the strike and the tentative agreement. And I want to give a particular shout out to Kentucky Truck because that was that was in my district. That was the chip that changed the game. Um, Ford came to the table without a new agreement and Sean, uh, Sean Fain came in and said, all right, well, you just lost Kentucky truck. And that really changed the game. So big shout out to, to them. I want to highlight that. I think it's really important and congratulations to those guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, people think of uh, Ford and the big three as Michigan and Detroit, but the most profitable Ford plant is right here in Kentucky. Uh, That's right. And, and, you know, it, it cannot, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Kentucky won the strike for, 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 for the AUAW and for Ford. So, so, um, you know, good for us. Absolutely. <laughs> good, good for the folks there. <laughs> um, you know, in, in the wake of this agreement, Ford did announce several changes, which is pretty typical whenever a union agreement is reached to say, here's where we are going to be investing. Here's the changes that we will be making. Um, and, 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 you know, it's hard to say they knew that this uh, agreement was going to have to come in some form or fashion because the contract was ending. So it's hard to say how much was just like already planned and how much was due to the, the richness of the agreement. Um, but one of the things that did get announced was a potential change to the blue oval battery plants, uh, two of which are uh, slated to, to be created there in Hardin County, uh, just south mm-hmm. of Louisville. So there are two. The first one has had no changes, and the second one has uh, – the Ford did announce that it might be delayed by up to a year. So the reason that they gave for this is that the EV market hasn't grown quite like they expected, which the way that that was presented in the media, I think, was a little bit uh, unfair to everybody. Um, There has been massive growth in the EV market. But the point is, like, we have to figure out where it's going to be and we have to be able to meet that demand where it is. And it has been growing a lot. We and, and they made a bet that it would continue Absolutely. to grow by as much as it had been, that exponential growth. The growth hasn't been quite as exponential as I- expected. So, you know, maybe they don't need they need to have a little bit of slack in their plans. It's really hard to do this kind of work even with with the best yeah. of of data. So, Governor Bashir, uh, he he came out, he made a video, and he did say that, you know, this is not a cancellation. It's a, it's a delay, and it's not even a guaranteed delay. They just announced that they might be delaying it. Uh, and, and then also, uh, 
Governor Bashir called it a silly season because as soon as Ford announced this, of course, uh, Republicans and the folks that are trying to unseat him as governor latched onto it immediately and said, you know, because of Governor Bashir's support for the UAW, they canceled the the second battery plant. Um, and, and that's not, of course, what happened. So um, right. that, that's that's where we're at yeah. with with the future of of the battery plants there in Hardin County. It doesn't seem like there has been any guaranteed change, but the first one is is going uh, forward as planned, and the second one um, may be slightly delayed. Um, yeah, I think it's I, I think it's important to highlight that you know it's impossible to prove this one or the other, but you know. Ford announcing this too, the timing that it did, it's not particularly surprising that they would have a PR arm that would be, you know, highlighting something like this in the midst of these negotiations with a tentative agreement, right? Yeah. Like, we can't necessarily, like, attribute it one way or the other that way, but I think you're right that the media narrative is not necessarily accurate to what's happening on the ground. And I think the other thing is that just civil engineer here, supply chain nerd, <laughs> the way that cars are bought and ordered in the United States is that giant companies and then also, um, of course, the federal government and government uh, entities buy these cars out years before they're even made. So like the the EV Ford F-150, that car has been sold and has been bought out for years before it's even been uh, manufactured. Um, and so predicting what these trends are ahead of time, it's for doing their due diligence about what demand is actually going to be here. You, like you said, this is something that is incredibly difficult to predict. And um, the, the Ford is not going to agree to a union contract or make a tentative deal that at the end of the day, isn't going to be profitable for Ford. They're just not going to do that. And so unions uh, are a fantastic way to ensure that you and your coworkers um, have uh, more say over, you know, your dignity of your day-to-day life. And uh, for corporations, as far as they're concerned, they're still profitable, even if you have a unionized labor force, yeah. um, which I think is is a really important takeaway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do we have at the end of the day with the UAW strike that happened and it's about to end is that the UAW workers in Kentucky are now working again. They're making more money than they ever have before. And very little has happened to UAW or to Ford's future plans here in, in yep. Kentucky. Um, you know, not, not much has changed except for that our workers and, and the people that live in our neighborhoods and that we live around are doing better than they did, they were before the strike happened. So that's the upshot of what happened. Um, the last thing I'll say here is, you know, as we're talking about like these, these plans being made, uh, one of the things that Ford did announce in the wake of this is that Louisville is going to be manufacturing one of the all new, uh, electric vehicles that Ford is going to be, uh, using, uh, the escape, uh, the Ford Escape is one of the vehicles that is is ending li- likely its life cycle. Uh, it had been manufactured here in Louisville and is now. Um, as that phases out, um, it will be replaced by an electric vehicle. So, uh, you know, as the future shows us that there will be more and more electric vehicles, that will continue to happen here in, in Louisville. So that's that's good news as well. All right. Well, that's enough about the UAW uh, and, and Ford. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, Supreme Court case. So... 
Um, okay, a little bit more context. Uh, I feel like we have to give this context like five times, but I also forget uh, what's at stake here. So all of Kentucky's constitutional challenges, uh, if you think that something that the, the legislature has passed violates either the Kentucky or the United States Constitution, it has to originate. The cases have to originate in Franklin County, uh, which is the home of Frankfurt where the bills are passed. And of course, one of the most Democratic counties in the state. Um, four years, ever since the Republicans went into the majority in the legislature in 2017, they basically have sought to find a way to move constitutional challenges out of Franklin County. So this year, in 2023, the legislature passed a law over the governor's veto that further confused the process. So it was already pretty confused. Uh, in 2021, there was a bill, SB3, that passed that created a process that was already kind of confusing, allowing defendants to request a change in venue. Um, and you know, I think that they saw the writing on the wall. Republicans saw the writing on the wall with SB3, made some tweaks to it in 2023 to try to get it to pass constitutional muster. But uh, Governor Bashir vetoed it. It went to court and it has been thrown out. So um, all of their little tweaks were to no avail. Um, Andy Bashir, when he vetoed this year's bill, said um, it was, quote, an unconstitutional grab of power by the General Assembly to control Kentucky judges, unquote. He also called uh, the bill very directly unconstitutional special legislation, which special legislation is a, a term that is used um, in the Constitution that it says you can't do that. So um, that was directly calling that argument out and saying that's why he vetoed it. Um, right. Uh, Kate, last time you were here, we actually talked about the oral arguments. I know. In this case. So, so you're back. I guess we only talk back about again. it. Yeah. We only talk about it when, when you're on the show. Um, and back then what we had said was that the, the Supreme court did seem skeptical of the law and that right. they, they seemed like that they were going to overthrow it. And they did. Uh, that's what the, the ruling they came to. Justice Van Meter, the chief justice, he wrote the opinion, and in the opinion he said, quote, the bill operates to vest a certain class of litigants with the unfettered right to forum shop without having to show any bias on the part of the presiding judge or just cause for removal, unquote. That's not quite as harsh as the language that the governor put in his veto message, but mm -hmm. it's pretty close to what the argument that he pointed to was uh, just to say, you know, the legislature yeah. can't intervene with the courts in, in this way. Of course, this is a court case that Daniel Cameron and his office um, worked directly to keep in place. Um, so, you know, he lost, I guess. Uh, his office did say in defeat, quote, today's opinion backtracks on that established principle and diminishes the power of the people's branch of government, unquote. So um, I guess he just thinks the legislature should be all powerful, even though we set up separation of powers for a reason. Um, yeah, yep. yeah. And, and so they're sad that they lost. Um, yeah, so here, at the end of the day, where are we at with this, this court case? And, and I think, like, the Republican majority has worked really hard to change this process. But the Constitution is set up to, to, to keep it this way. This is the way that the Constitution has de deemed it to work. Uh, and, and whether or not the legislature wants to spend any more of its time, um, its limited capacity to, to, to you know, go, legislate during the session to try to pass another one of these bills after this one was overturned is an open question to me clearly it's a priority they've been trying to do it but but it's been a lot of time that they spent trying to do it and they've lost every single time so will they continue yeah. to push on this 
Or will they just give it up and say, you know, it all has to go to the Supreme Court anyway. Even if we lose in Franklin Circuit Court, we'll win at the appeals level or we'll win at the Supreme Court level. And we're just going to continue to invest money and uh, organizing in trying to, to, to elect more conservative judges. Maybe that will be the strategy that they undertake. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess, um, in just a few months in the legislative <laughs> I'm session. I'm sure. Starts. Yeah. Um, I'm I know sure it's not exactly your wheelhouse, Kate, but anything you have to say about that? Um, just that, you know, it, we've been shown kind of time and again that uh, while Republicans continue to be popular uh, when it comes to uh, certain elections, and particularly in Kentucky, um, their policies are not particularly popular. And so they have to play these games with, uh, you know, uh, these are constitutional challenges, uh, you know, and being able to... Uh, to, to shop for who your judge is with a constitutional challenge when you've already gerrymandered and, and the state uh, in terms of the state legislature, you've already taken power away from voters in that regard. Uh, you know, it's not surprising that they're going after this uh, from a completely different direction. And I would not uh, put it past uh, the Kentucky GOP to continue to chip away at uh, making Kentuckians' voices uh, actually be heard yeah. um, because... You know, yeah. that's what they do. Well, there's no doubt that they're going to do it, but the way in which they try to do it. The is... way in which they try and do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, well, that's uh, yeah. about it for the news and the show this week. Kate, are you going to be anything for Halloween tonight? Uh, no, I don't think not tonight. Unfortunately, I wish I had a more fun answer for you, but no. <laughs> oh, sad day. Sad no. Day. I, yeah. I I'm gonna What's be a yeah Louisa? I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a butterfly catcher uh, because Louise is gonna be a butterfly should be fun. Oh, um, that's perfect. Yeah, we'll we'll see how trick or treating goes. We're recording a little early so that we can go uh, collect candy with my my child. Uh, so thanks, Kate, for being flexible. And all right, that is it for the show this week. If you would like to you know listen to us, you can do so at the podcast app of your choice. Uh, let's see, you can subscribe to our newsletter at uh, tinyletter.com/slash my old Kentucky newsletter. That doesn't come out that often, but it does come out sometimes. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter slash X at my old KY pod. And yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week. <laughs>